River Radio. This is Extra Time. This is the, the, the Sports Show. Good evening and welcome to River Radio at 7 o'clock and time for the station's resident football show. Joining me tonight is Sam Setti and Ben Green. I'm Will Taylor, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week we preview the Women's Euros which kick off next week. We take a look back at Liverpool's season and what could have been. Wickham come into focus as we look what next season holds for them and we'll also chat the biggest transfers across the country. All that and more to come on tonight's episode of Extra Time. Yes, hello, and thank you for joining us on Extra Time here as we tackle the biggest stories from the beautiful game, all in the company of regular panellists Ben Green and River Radio's very own Sam Setti. Tonight's show, contrary to popular belief, is all is not all about us, though, and you can get involved by tweeting us using the handle at River Radio Live or by sending us an email to studio at river.radio. As I mentioned, joined by both Sam and Ben this week, Sam... Good to be back on the show. Yes, loving it. <laughs> as always, as always, mate. Plenty to get stuck into, which we will with Liverpool. But obviously, we've seen the signing of Darwin Nunez. Mane's gone. A lot's happening at Liverpool. It feels like a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a big change is being made. Maybe a new era for Liverpool. I think it's the new era. It's the beginning of the second Klopp era. Um, I think Mane was the first signing of his era, really. That mm. really set the bar. Definitely. Uh, unfortunately, it's all about money, as we all know. Um, Liverpool have a very strict um, wage structure. Yeah, they do. And they're not yeah. going to break it. I fully expect actually Salah may be going this season. If um, not next, yeah. I think well, he'll go for watch. certain next. Um, they won't pay £400,000 a week, which is what he wants. And I was speaking to the chief sports writer of the Daily Mirror. Mm. Salah's agent even tried to go and tap up Man United. Really? Yes. <laughs> that would be that would be rather incredible to see something like that. It was wouldn't it? only pointed out to Salah that would kill his legacy. Yeah. Well, which is the only reason he didn't go. I think it might kill more than his legacy if yeah. he did. That. I think <laughs> it would kill him. Yeah, yes. I think if I'm being completely honest. Also joined by Ben Green, regular panelist, of course. He's dialing in remotely. Um, not a bit, bit of an operation, mate, isn't there? You, you, you all back fighting fit now, almost. Yeah, I'm on the mend. I'm on the mend, even gents. Uh, I spent last week in darkness, and I've, I've finally been able to go outside the last two days and actually live life normally. Can I just ask, is that a result of the playoff final, or is it, or is it completely different? I'm just curious. <laughs> no, I had, a, I actually had a surgery on my eye. Wow. Um, so, yeah, they had to reshape the eyeball. It all sounds very, uh, very, very scary, technical. Really very wasn't. technical. Um, Were you awake when they did <laughs> this? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that, that's what I meant. They give you a local anaesthetic, not a general. I'm out. If, if yeah. anyone's flicking with my eyes and a needle and stuff, I'm out of it. Tell you what, forget the football show. Should we just do this about eyes? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I could talk about it if you want. But yeah, I might can have a first track up. Blinded yeah. by the light, exactly. <laughs> man for man. Here we go. <laughs> we certainly could do. Um, so you're feeling okay? Obviously, we'll touch on on Wickham in more detail later on the, later on in the show, mate. But uh, it's it's been a bit of a. It's not perhaps been the start to the window you would have liked has it no I mean talking about being in the darkness it feels like Wickham fans have been in the dark all, all window long really <laughs> in terms of sort of what we're doing uh, bringing players in I know there's there's loads of rumours at the moment hopefully there's a few coming through the door in the next week but um, at the moment there's not really been a lot to, to, to cheer about 
It really hasn't, mate. It really hasn't. Like I said, we'll touch on that later. We'll hear from James Richings from the Bucks Free Press as well, who have plenty to say about that. But that is your panel for this evening's show. And as always, there's plenty to discuss. So let's dive straight in. And we start, of course, with England's Lionesses, who will look to go one step further than their male counterparts in the European Champion- Championships that start next week. A week today, actually. Uh, England's women look to be strong favourites for the competition. They'll kick off their campaign with a group game against Austria. Naturally, we wanted to speak to the very best of the best for this so earlier in the week Ed caught up with Abby Ticehurst who had recently won an award as an influential woman in football and was ready and raring to go for an exciting month of football Ed started out by asking her how she first got involved in the game I've always been interested in football not so much when I was younger but definitely in my sort of teenage years that's when I started going to watch Reading and then went to uni and all of my flat everyone was in the Premier League at that point that was when Reading was in the Premier League (laughs) But yeah, so football, it was me, another girl and three boys. And yeah, we were all like, there was a Chelsea fan, there was an Arsenal fan. Yeah, so football was always on and the boys played on the football team as well. So we'd watch football on a Saturday together and then they'd go and play. Me and the other girl that I live with used to go and and watch them play. So um, yeah, just really just all the football you can think of. And then came home from uni and just carried on watching men's football with my friends. And then maybe sort of 2017 2018 was the time that I was like oh women's football's doing all right actually like it's just going places kind of thing and then I think it was really the 2019 World Cup and I was like it was on TV like you could actually watch women's football on TV so I was like right this is my this is my bag like this is when I'm going to get kind of serious and um with Reading obviously being in the WSL as well that made it a bit more accessible as well and the men's team were kind of not doing as well so I was like well do you know what let's kind of focus on the women's team so that's where my kind of interest and then I'd only started playing football myself that year actually so there'd never really been the opportunity like when I was growing up for girls to play in a football team and I'd there was maybe one or two teams in the area, but yeah, I was, I was quite a shy kid and quite a shy teenager, which probably half the people that know me now must be like, what are you on about? So my local team started up a women's team and so I joined them and Football in Berkshire, who I write for now, for the Women's Football Weekend in November of 2019, they covered all of the women's football in the area because it's the men's international break. So they kind of stretched the women's game across the whole weekend rather than just Sunday 2pm. And so... Yeah, so Tom, who runs football in Berkshire, he did coverage of the women's game. And from my, I ran all the socials for my football team. So um, I tweeted like, oh, this is really great. I'd love to see more of this. And Tom's like, yeah, yeah, this will be great. Like, we're going to do more of this. And then just nothing really happened. And um, anybody that knows me knows I'm a little bit sarcastic. Um, So I sort of sent a sarky tweet uh, from my football team's account in, I think it was in the January. I was like, still, still waiting for that women's football coverage. And uh, Tom essentially replied like, oh, we'd love to, but we just don't have anybody to do it. And like, we either want to give it like what it deserves or not do it at all. Like we don't want to be half-hearted about it. And I was like, I've done a little bit of like writing before. Like I enjoy writing. I did a lot of writing at uni and stuff like that. So so I could maybe give it a go. And uh, here we are nearly three years later. And um, yeah, we've just hosted our own awards. We've, we've won an award for our podcast. It's just kind of blown up really. And just the, the Berkshire football scene, just in general, in terms of women's coverage and non-league football and grassroots football has just yeah, really exploded in the last few years. So yeah, that's my whistle-stop tour of my football journey for you. And of course, you yourself are the recipient of an award. You're on the list of Queens of Women in Football. Tell us about that, how it came about, and when did you first hear about it? 
that was entirely unexpected. So just shout out to women in football. They're an incredible organisation who do so much to support players, backroom staff. Yeah, they do some incredible stuff. Um, But yeah, this was completely unexpected. So my friend Lish, she nominated me. And yeah, it just was a complete, complete and utter surprise, I'll be honest. And the list that I am on is insane i feel very unworthy being on the list there's some big names on there so um yeah it's just really nice to be recognized uh in and amongst such an incredible set of women well there certainly are some really big names on there of course you've got jackie oatley's on there and kelly smith former england striker too scoping back a little bit from that and and looking at the local scene of women's football as you mentioned we've got reading in the wsl who are perhaps the biggest club in the local area how would you reflect on their season now that the dust has settled it's a tricky one I've spoken to Kelly Chambers a couple of times about it as well. And it's a little bit cliche, but this has been one of those building foundation seasons is what she's said. And I totally agree with her because the last three seasons, it's been get a load of players in, see how we get on. And then it's a big exodus and everybody leaves. And then you have to rebuild again. This season, we've made some really, really key important signings like Deanne Rose, for example, Canadian Olympian, uh, Tash Dowie as well, who is a stalwart of the WSL and she did her time abroad and she's come back. So, yeah, it's been, as I said, one of those sort of building foundation seasons because we've only had one or two players leave so far. Um, Obviously, uh, Tash Harding, captain, she's left and Brooke Chaplin, unfortunately, having to retire due to... uh, injury combined with uh, some surgery that she had so there's been some really great moments that Chelsea win was fantastic first time in history so that was really great but equally there's been a few games where it's been like well we really should have got points there so yeah it's been a strange one but actually I think next season is the one to look at and the one to be paying attention to. Well, we'll certainly be keeping a keen eye on the Royals in the WSL. And of course, the coverage of the WSL has made the women's game so much more accessible, hasn't it? How good is that to see? Yeah, I think it has actually really impacted the game in a real positive way. And it does mean that you can, at any point, switch on the TV and you're probably going to see a women's game on. Um, So yeah, that's been really fantastic. And I think also what's really important is Barclays have committed to uh, some more seasons with the WSL and they've also recently renamed the championship and that's now the Barclays championship as well. So I think that commitment from Barclays is really, really important and really vital for more um, visibility and accessibility of the game to to everybody. So yeah, it's just been a a real positive that um, more people are able to see it. I think that the only tricky thing is that I think maybe it's potentially affected actual attendance to games. But um, overall, I think it's been a real positive. And of course, now that progress has started to be made, you want to, as it were, keep that ball rolling, don't you? So tell us a little bit about the provision in the local area for people to go down and watch and prospectively get involved as well. How good is it? Yeah, locally, fantastic, I think. I think a a kind of a niche of women's football as well is that you don't, like how I felt when I joined, is that you don't have to have been kicking a ball since you could walk. So you could turn up to a team and potentially walk into a a decent team or into your kind of local county team and they're fairly accepting to have people on board so I think that's a real plus of women's football is that it's far more accessible of people that go oh I've never played football before but I kind of fancy the idea of it so the opportunity to go and play is very much there but I think equally 
there are now kind of girls who have been kicking a ball since they were able to walk. So we're on that knife edge of seeing those girls who have been playing since they were younger and the talent is incredible. Well, that's really great to hear. And of course, next on the agenda is Euro 2022, of which England are the host nation. What are your hopes for that? Do you feel it can again shine a light on women's football and perhaps bring it to a new generation, much like you said was the case for you back in the 2019 World Cup? Yeah, I'm very excited. Despite the visibility of 2019, there was still quite a lot of people that were like, oh, I didn't know there was a women's tournament happening. Whereas now it's, I, th- I think it's in your face, essentially. And there's just such an incredible talent across the teams competing. I think it's so tricky. Like, obviously, I'd like England to win, but I just think it's really tricky to really pinpoint a particular team. Like, the Netherlands are incredibly strong and they're the, the current title holders. Also, like a lot of the Scandinavian teams as well. And strangely enough, people keep saying dark horses about the Denmark team. They're not dark horses at all. Like they're absolutely stacked. So they're ones to watch as well. It's going to be a really exciting tournament. And I think it's really important that we've got all of these incredible host venues as well. And they've got lots of legacy projects as well, which is really important because... I mean, it's exciting having a Euros for 30 days, isn't it? But then you just think, oh, what's what's coming from that? But there's been lots of build-up and they've had the road shows and it's about getting more children involved and it's about getting referees and things like that. So, yeah, there's just plenty there in all of the communities and the host cities to, to get involved, essentially. Well, that's really good to hear. And, of course, we can't let you go without at least asking about your thoughts on England's chances. Do you feel that home advantage could be the decisive factor and they can maybe go one better than the men's team did last year I'd like to think they're definitely like do I want to say they're going to be in the final I probably should shouldn't I but yeah there's just so many incredible teams that I'd as yeah I'd love I'd love an England win 100% and I think definitely home advantage and home fans is going to be a big thing as well they're definitely in the running 100% uh I'm I'm not going to commit to saying if they'll win I don't know <laughs> okay I'll change the question what do you think would be a good performance even if they were to miss out on an appearance in the final perhaps quarters or or semis where would you be happy with I think I'll have to say semis I think anything before that would be a bit disappointing so yeah that's that's all I'm gonna say okay there we have it then a definitive barometer Abby Tyser's prediction we heard it here first semis at a minimum is what England should hopefully be looking to try and obtain. Abby, thanks so much for chatting to us. Enjoy the tournament. We hope to chat to you again very soon. Thank you very much. It famously is the hope that kills you with English football, isn't it? But Abby sort of outlining her thoughts there. Big big thank you to her for joining Ed and having a chat with them. And of course, congratulations on winning the awards uh, for the women in football, which was absolutely incredible. Some very interesting stuff there for us to get stuck into, gents. Um, Of course, like she mentioned, semi-finals is, looks to be a minimum for England. I think that's a very much a shared expectation throughout. I mean, how, how good would it be to see the women go one step further than the men this time, Sam? I don't think it has to be about women or men. I mean, I think the women should stand on their own two rights and not have to go, oh, we're better than them or they're better than us. You mm. know, I think the women's game, if it is to succeed and attract the audiences they want as well, um, has to really deliver in its own right. Mm. And I think winning a World Cup for England would be an amazing achievement. I mean, you know, and and, and it would be a, you know, Yabu sucks to the men if they don't, because I don't really think, uh, controversially, that we'll do anything in the World Cup as the men. 
No, well, I mean, that's, that's certainly something we, we, we may well get into as well. But in, in terms of the women's game, Ben, obviously it seems to be growing sort of exponentially in the UK at the moment. It started off from my memory of watching, I think, in, one of my first memories of watching England's women at a tournament, I think, was in Canada and the US when, um, when they went out sort of late on, I believe, to Japan. It seems to be getting much bigger, certainly coming on to a par almost with the American game in terms of women's football as well. I mean, how much of an overall statement would it be if we did go and win this tournament to, to show in the world that we're, we're just as serious about women's football as we are about men's? Yeah, it'd be huge. I think the women's team have been knocking on the door for a long time, haven't they? There's yeah, been several absolutely. tournaments now where you felt there was maybe one or two games where they, they probably could have gone on and, and won it. So really, when, when we cut it to the, to the chase, you, you have to make one of these tournaments count at some point. You, know, you can't keep getting to the semi-final or quarter-final. Similar to just, the men, really, as well, isn't it? Yeah, similar to the men's team. And you think to get to that next step, um, both for, for young boys and girls, um, you do need a team to win to win a tournament, especially at home. There's going to be big crowds. Um, I know there's a, a stadium near me that's being used, and, and that's pretty much sold out, I think, for the group stages. So it, it's going to be huge for, for not just the women's game, but, but the general game at grassroots level. Yeah, I mean, the fact, the fact that it's the Euros and not the World Cup and the fact that we won't come up against our old foes, the American. I think, was it was it Carly Lloyd who famously did the tea-drinking celebration last time we played them, oh, yeah. um, which, which, which cost us. Do you think, because it's not, there aren't as many teams in it, and America and, and a couple of the Asian teams obviously ring particularly good in the field, do, do you think that adds even more to England being favourites for it? Uh, yeah, of course. You'd like to think that England probably have a better chance, but at the same time, <laughs> there's that added pressure, isn't there? You know, we saw the men's team as the tournament went on. We, we sort of the country started to believe, and we felt that it was our year, but, but ultimately it wasn't. So there's going to be other teams that are going to fancy their chances. Um, I know this, she said about sort of Denmark and and other teams. There are some good teams in Europe. Holland, obviously. Who can forget Vivian Miedemark? You know what striker she's yeah, been for Arsenal. Fantastic. So, you know it's it's going to be difficult, but you'd have to have England as favourites. The home home tournament, uh, everything's in their favour. They've just got to go and, and make it count. As, as I said, mate, it really can be the hope that kills you, though, can't it? Um, <laughs> Sam, obviously, the WSL seems to be attracting some of the biggest get games and uh, names in the game, I should say, sorry. Tottenham making some fairly big signings, as well as, of course, Manchester City always been up there. Chelsea being fantastic again this season. How much, if England are to go on and win the Euros, or, or even regardless if they don't, how great is that to see the women's game, like I said, coming on, getting better and, and you know, and growing the game overall? I think their biggest challenge is going to be getting brands to come in, right? Yeah. I, I don't think they're having a problem. I think a lot of girls at grassroots level are beginning to say, yeah, I quite like a bit of football mm. and I can see where it could lead me to. Same as the boys, young boys now. I think some of the skill sets I've seen some, from some of the women have been quite amazing. It's the physicality, of course, that, mm. that stops them. Now, brands, though, have to come in. It, it, when you start to see Vodafones and, and, and you know, Teslas and um, various other brands that are on the men's shirts, so, yeah, we're going to stick similar cash mm. towards it. And you start to see salaries and big transfers. That's when you know the game's made it. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's certainly heading that way, isn't it? It's getting towards it. It's just bridging that gap a little bit, isn't it? Which will, which will be interesting to see how that works out. Well, the most famous comment I remember hearing was that women were banned from playing football by, by the FA for yeah. so many... I mean, over 100 it's years 1970 difference. 1970 they started, Yeah, I mean, it? you know, there was a 100 years difference, so... Give him 100 years and we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And that may well be the case. So, But I don't think it'll take 100 years, I think. No. But again, I don't... 
I don't know, maybe maybe we will one day. I don't know if I'll ever sit down as a priority to say, like, I want to watch a men's game, like, you know, Liverpool v someone or, or the, the World Cup, whether I'd go, oh, the women's game's on, I must go and watch it. I'm not sure I'm ready yet. Maybe I'm the wrong generation. No, well, look, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, a very fair point that I think probably a few people would agree with. I think it's, like you said, it's getting to the point where the, the game grows a little bit, the quality improves a little bit, that, that we can get to that point. But regardless, there's a lot to be excited about the summer, isn't there, in terms of winning the Euros. Ben, I, I, I love making you make predictions, so I'm going to do it again. Are the women going to do it? Because you said if Wickham got in the playoffs, I'd win it. That's what I'm going to say. But do you, do you think the women will do it? Yeah, yeah no, I was very close to Wickham. Let's you were, right. yeah. No, I, got, I, got <laughs> no, no, I think the women are going to do it. Yeah, purely because for me, um, as, as someone that sort of tunes in and out of women's football, I can't say I watch it every week and I know you know which teams are flying at the moment and who, who the dark horses be. But for me, it's always been sort of the Canadas, the USA, the, the Japans and, and those teams that have really caused us issues over the past two, three tournaments. Now, none of those teams are there this time. So They failed to qualify but, or what was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah didn't make it. But uh, yeah, because of that reason, I think you have to have England as favourites and uh, yeah, I think they will go and win. It's coming home, mate. It's coming home, I'll tell you. Coming home. It really is. Uh, fantastic chat, and we obviously wish the Lionesses the very best of luck going forward in that tournament. We'll be covering it, of course, here on Extra Time throughout. Uh, it is time to turn our attention now to the men's game as we look back on the fortunes of one club over the course of a season, and we're turning our attention to the red half of Merseyside. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Ooh. Well, now for some... Music, try this. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio and it's now time to take a look back at the season just gone. Last week we examined Manchester United's turbulent campaign so today we'll be turning our attention to their age-old rivals and focusing on Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. The Reds recorded two domestic cup wins and came within two points of the Premier League title last season as well as reaching the final of the Champions League where they fell just short of the crown to European giants Real Madrid. Naturally there's only one man we could ask about this isn't there Liverpool Liverpool fan and River Radio MD Sam Setti. I hate to open up old wounds, Sam, but uh, there's plenty of positive to talk about as well, isn't there? So going back to the very start of the season, um, there were a fair share of pundits didn't even have you down to make the top four, I think. Certainly a lot of a lot of the BBC ones I saw. Well, I'd sack all those pundits to begin with. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But obviously there was a lot of injury, injury problems the season before. It was yeah. a late run in that Alisson header, which eventually led you getting into the top four in the first place. Best header ever. It really was. It really was. And... Um, does that in itself make it a successful season? Because it's very easy to forget about before you know what was going on beforehand. But it, but no one really pitched it as a particular. They certainly didn't expect you to challenge Manchester City and be in with the shout of a quadruple. Look, the, the line between success and failure is a very, very fine line, right? Um, as you said, you know, um, had Aston Villa with Coutinho's second goal. I mean, that would have been absolutely in the gods written right Coutinho <laughs> scores the winner against City and Liverpool win the title um, had they managed to hold on um, I mean there is no way that Real Madrid were the better team in that final or yes they won it but it was like the, the, the goalie had the game of his century you know <laughs> like, course, well, it was fantastic yeah I mean yeah. so I think that the, the line between success and failure between uh, you know being immortal and just you know just having a double cup winning season which again to be brutally honest the penalty shootouts could have gone either way so mm. liverpool could have ended up the season having lost only two games whole season and zero cup competitions right mm. they could have got nothing 
Well, you so, played you played every possible game, didn't you? Which yeah, of course plays a part. And I think you know uh, one of the things you know Liverpool uh, under Klopp have got a never say die attitude. There's no way I thought in the 12, 14 game running that we would keep it going. I think we said that on here, didn't we? Actually, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it was like, and and I, I think City literally limped over that line. They mm. they didn't do it in style. Um, well, having to come back from two 0 down against Aston Villa certainly isn't isn't in much style, is it? I mean, it's, it's very interesting. Do you think Ben, like like I said, I'll, I'll throw that question to you. Do you think, based on how the season started and and the predictions that were gone before it, it, it is a successful season for Liverpool, especially with you know with, with only two games left for them to play? They were very much in with the shout of the, the just this unprecedented quadruple. Yeah, I mean it's. Expectations always change over, over the course of the season, don't they? And, and teams that thought they'd be fighting to stay up, who, who find themselves mid-table, often think it's disappointing they didn't get Europa League and things like that. So I don't know. I think at the start of the season, if you'd said to Liverpool fans, would you be happy with a, you know, a domestic uh, cup double and you know pushing Man City all the way to the Premier League, getting to the final of the Champions League? I think they would have taken that. And, and, and I think with... With, with a, almost a changing of the guard coming up, I feel. Um, I don't know what Sam feels about that, but it almost, I think he mentioned it earlier, like, like a sort of a second era coming up for Liverpool with certain players being moved on, new faces coming in. I think there's, there's plenty to be positive about if you're a Liverpool fan. And uh, I'm sure with the success they've had over previous seasons that um, they were fairly happy last year, even though it could have been incredible. Well, well, it really could have been. Well, let's let's touch on that change into the guard very quickly. Well, b- before we get stuck into to a couple of other bits, do do you expect it to be as as successful initially? Because I think a big part of Liverpool's success under Klopp was the underdog bullish attitude that they had. Sadio Mane for forty five million or forty million was laughed at by a lot of people. Salah had failed at Chelsea, um, and that was that was a laughable signing. Bobby Firmino has never had a fantastic goal record. This ended up being probably the best front three in the world for yeah. a period. Yeah. You know, Virgil Van Dijk for seventy five million was was laughed at. Um, do, do you Only think until Man United bought a player for a more? Yeah, <laughs> not a very good one either. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, do, do you do you sort of think in in retrospect that this this is now going to be a little bit tougher than it was before because you, everyone was laughing at your signings and now people were sitting up and taking you perhaps a little bit more seriously. I think Diaz was bought to be Mane's replacement. I think that was obvious. In fact, well, he replaced Mane anyway on the left wing. Mm. Mane had to play down the middle because he couldn't or wouldn't be played by Klopp on the left. Mm-hmm. So that was a natural... I Jota think, as well obviously came in, Yeah, but Klopp's favoured uh, formation is... Um, Four two three one, right? Mm. That's what he played at Dortmund all of the time. Mm. He's never played that at Liverpool. Um, I suspect that's what he's going to do next season. So he's going to go with the back five as we've got. He'll put Thiago, Fab, or Hendo in a rotation in that two, mm-hmm. and then a bit, I think Bobby's going to drop to a number ten, which I think is his natural. I think it's very suited to that. Yeah, that makes. A I think sense. wide will be Diaz and Salah, and I think Nunez up front as the the you know forward. He's going to be the Robert Lewandowski of Dortmund. To Klopp's Liverpool. Very big shoes to fill, but he certainly could be. He certainly impressed in that Champions League game, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he actually got three bleak bleeding goals against us I nearly <laughs> swore they'd apologise because um, it was that painful watching it um, but you know he did I mean and Van Dyke basically said he was one of the hardest players who played against him so compliments don't come much higher than that do they I mean it's touching on that Champions League while we look back on the season as well I mean you were put into what was called this group of death mm-hmm. weren't you AC Milan were in it you know among among a lot of, there was a lot of tough games in there six six wins from that group 
um, that, that sort of was was that sort of a point you started to believe something special was happening in terms of the season? No, I think I think oh, no, it's arrogance, cockiness. I don't know what you want to call it, but I think Liverpool fans believe that that Klopp will get us into the next round. Even we didn't think we'd win all six. No, there was no expectation on mm. that. But I do think that we expected to get to the semis at least. Um, I, again, I just think you know you said it earlier. Um, you know, Liverpool played every possible game they could have played. I think that side was just literally worn out. By the time, I mean, Real Madrid hadn't played for three weeks with their first team. And they, they threw the final game of the season, essentially. Yeah. And they played their kids. Exactly. So, so they had plenty of time to actually rest up. Whereas, you know, we had a team that was literally, I think, on its knees going into that final. Uh, you know, that's I, look, you can't make any excuses. Andy, um, you know, Robbo went up for a ball, shouldn't have chased, left a gap behind him, and yeah. Trent didn't look behind. Right, Easy mistakes to make, though, aren't they? Yeah, I suspect Trent's going to be moving to midfield in the next season or so, anyway. Yeah, yeah he certainly seems to, be, seems to be in that sort of shape of a player, doesn't he? I mean, Ben, do you think, do you think that's a fair assessment? It was a little bit, like Sam said, limping over the line a little bit after, after what was such a, a, a crazy season in, in that instead of, not even did they play every single game they, they could have possibly played in. The two finals they were in, they, they took 220 minutes as yeah. well. So it was an awful lot of football to be played. And would do you think it sort of exemplified why it's so unlikely that we'll ever see this quadruple or even a treble in, in the near future? Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly hard thing, and, and that's why not many teams have done it, uh, if any. You know, even like you know, we always say it every year when a team hasn't maybe lost for the first couple of months, to think, could this be the next Invincibles? And it never happens, <laughs> no, does it? It, does. it never happens. <laughs> they lose, you know, two nil to nearly Norwich twenty years ago, and it still hasn't happened. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it always happens. So, no, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. I think the key is: can you put yourself within a shout? If you if you're in four cup competitions or three in, in a Premier League you've got a very good chance of winning one if you get mm. into the final stages. And, and I think if you can look at it like that as, as a numbers game, if, the more, the longer you stay in these competitions, the better chance you've got of winning one. Now, you might not win all four, but a lot of the times, one trophy is good enough, isn't it, for many teams? I know the likes of Liverpool, Man City are trying to win three or four, but the chances of that happening are so slim that if you can at least put yourself within touching distance, you may win two, and, and that's often enough. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's a very, very fair assessment. I'm sure you'd probably agree, Sam. Yeah, but of all the four, we won the two we didn't want. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a very good you know, point. I don't I'm mind two from, child. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> mind two from four, but can we have the other two, please? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, disregarding what Ben said, yes. the quadruple's on next year, isn't it? Well, where does Liverpool go? They lost only two games, uh, and fundamentally... Um, well, no, three games. So two in the league and one in the Champions League final, right? That's all they lost. Yeah. And they drew six, and that's what cost That's what us. came unstuck. Yeah. yeah, I mean, against sides early on in the season, like Brighton and stuff like that. But even that game against City, that was the Premier League Classic, where Salah scored that unbelievable goal, that you probably you probably could have edged that one and deserved to win it, but and that would have made all the difference. Well, even the Tottenham game late in the season, where mm. Tottenham beat us at home. Mm. Uh, no, we drew 2-2 yeah, with Tottenham, it, right? Yeah. And, and again, had we won that 2-1... Going into the final game of the season, City then would have been under even more pressure to win. Yeah. 
even if they'd beaten Villa, then it would have gone down to goal difference. Yeah. That would have been even gutting had they won on goal difference. <laughs> yeah. um, I think City would win everything on goal difference. <laughs> yeah. about score, I just want to say FFP. That's yeah. what I'll say. <laughs> That's what you'll say. Very, very uh, sort of n- nice, candid note to end it on. We're, we're going to be swapping the top of the Premier League, though, and going down to League One to check in with our constituent clubs. It's Wickham Wanderers up next. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Ooh. Well, now for some pop music, try this. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio and it's time for us to take a look at one of our local constituent clubs. And tonight the fortunes of Wickham Wanderers are what come into focus. A frantic season for the chair boys saw them dip in and out of the promotion and playoff places, eventually securing a place in the infamous top six and getting to the playoff final against Sunderland. That proved a step too far for them though as they fell at the final hurdle and found themselves having to go again next season. Earlier in the week, Ed caught up with James Richings from the Bucks Free Press who began by reflecting on the chairboy's bittersweet day at Wembley. I think looking back now, Sunderland were the better side and they deserved to ultimately win the game and the place in the championship. Wickham had a very, very, very good season, finishing in the top six, earning the most points they've ever got in League One. It just didn't have the happy ending that everyone wanted. Well, the players have now returned for pre-season training ahead of the next campaign. It's a very tight turnaround, isn't it? And they have to dust themselves down and go again. Oh, absolutely. Of course, with the World Cup taking place in the winter, things have had to change. And with the season starting in July, it's going to be new, not just for Wickham, but for all teams in the Football League. But Gaffanes have said that um, the players are back in training. They're getting their fitnesses up. That's why the club have got several friendly matches in the next few weeks, just to build up speed. But the players are going to be and they're going to be fighting fit for the start of the season. Hopefully Wickham will go one better come come May. And there are positives as well, aren't there? Because Joe Jacobson has signed a new deal, Dominic Gape as well. How important do you think it was for the club to get those sorts of deals over the line? Very important. Jacobson is very much part of the furniture at Adams Park. He is a Wickham Wanderers legend and he's very, very integral to the current team. Um, Whether or not he'll be starting all the games, I I don't think he will personally due to his age and due to how competitive League One is now. But he has got a lot of experience. He knows the league inside out and he is vital to Wickham's promotion push for this season. Dominic Gape, I spoke about him recently, about how he's just been so unfortunate of injuries um, since the start of the decade. Since 2020, he's only played 32 matches, but he started the last seven games of the season that just ended and he was a very integral part of Gareth Ainsworth's um, tactics. So the two of them signing up the new deals is very, very important, considering that David Stockdale has now departed and he played a big part in Wickham's promotion push last season. He was the only player to play every single second of the league fixtures and playoff fixtures. Anthony Stewart departing is another big loss. So them two, in terms of Gabe and Jacobson, were really important getting over the line. Even Lewis Wing as well. He's only been with the club since January, but he has shown what he can offer. And people seem to forget that he spent the vast majority of his professional career in the championship. So I think the three of them signing on will be really big for, for Wickham for the 2022-23 season. You mentioned those departures. David Stockdale, of course, has headed up to League One rivals Sheffield Wednesday. Anthony Stewart has gone to Aberdeen. And, of course, Adebayo Akinfenwa has retired as well. Do you feel like for a club that was built 
on its characters as much as their footballing ability, that's going to leave a big hole? Or is it an opportunity for players to step up and fulfil those roles now as people move on? And that's just the nature of the game. I think it's a case of both because the recruitment at Wickham Wanderers isn't just about the footballing ability. It's also about the attitude and the character. And if, you, and if you've got a larger than life personality, then you're going to really fit in with, with everyone at Adams Park. Akin Fenway leaving was always accepted at the start of the previous season that everyone knew this would be his final hurrah. He's going to leave a massive, massive void, not just because of the quality he brought, because of the character that he had. David Stockdale, a leader on the pitch, but off the pitch, a real joker, a very good person to speak to. He's going to be a big miss. Um, Anthony Stewart as well. In my opinion, Stewart is probably one of the best players I've seen in the Wickham shirt in, in three years covering the club. Um, so for him going to Scotland to play for Aberdeen and the uh, Scottish Premiership to play Celtic and Rangers is a great move for him. So the characters that Wickham have lost are huge, but they are working on bringing characters who are very similar to them to the club. Well, each of those players is certainly a loss. And in the case of David Stockdale, as you mentioned, the only player to play every league game and every game, of course, in the playoff run as well, showed how important it is to have a reliable goalkeeper to get you to those latter stages of League One competition when you're talking about potentially going back into the championship. Rumours circulating that the club are looking at Nathan Bishop on loan from Manchester United. What do you know about that deal? And have you heard of any other names that they've been linked with ahead? of the new season so Nathan Bishop has been linked with several EFL clubs Exeter City were the favourites to sign him but apparently that deal is off sources are revealing that he is more than likely going to sign with Wickham it's just a matter of when he's very very well respected within the industry he's only been at Manchester United for two and a half years and he's really impressed the Manchester United youth coaches which has obviously led him to have a move to a League Two side. Played very well there, kept, I think, 16 or 17 clean sheets. He's now been linked to clubs in a higher league. So it goes to show that his career is going in the right path. And other names that I've seen being linked to Wickham Wanderers, the main one I've seen is Alfie Mawson. There have been rumours surrounding Mawson's name to Wickham I would say since March, April time. He's been released by Fulham. He's been out on loan a few times and he's obviously been at Wickham before. He was part of the Wickham team that got to the League Two Playoff Island 2014-15. He was the club's player of the season that year. He knows the club. He knows Gareth Ainsworth. So I believe from what I've seen, that is going to be a move. Whether it happens today, tomorrow, I don't know. But the rumours are circulating that it's a very, very, very likely uh, signing for Wickham Wonders that Alfie Borson could become a Wickham player um, relatively soon. Well, that signing is certainly a really exciting prospect if it does come off. Alfie Mawson was playing Premier League football not so long ago with Swansea. And it's those sorts of players that are going to keep you in the mix as a club when it comes to the tail end of the season and looking to maybe elevate yourselves up into the championship. And it will be such a strong league one. Are there any clubs that you earmark to be the front runners? And do you think that a playoff berth, first and foremost, is what Wickham ought to be looking for? I believe so. Gareth Ainsworth wants championship football again for Wickham Wanderers and he wants it with a full house. Wickham hit the jackpot a couple of years ago when they gained promotion, but it was at the expense of a pandemic where no fans were able to come and, and enjoy the experience. So he really wants to bring that back. With the teams in League One this season, it's going to be absolutely incredible. You've got Derby County, Ipswich Town, Sheffield Wednesday, Wickham, 
in my opinion, should be aiming for the playoffs. They got into the playoffs last season on merit. So the quality is there for Wigan. It's just whether or not they can, they have enough to get over the line. It's going to be a very exciting season, that's for sure. And let's hope 2023 could be Wanderers' year for uh, championship football. Well, fingers crossed. And like yourself, we at River Radio will be watching on. James, thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Ed. There you go. That's James Richings there from the Bucks Free Press giving us his thoughts on Wickham's fortunes. Ben, naturally, you're the guy to come to on this, our chief Wickham, Wickham Wanderers correspondent. Uh, a few key players have left. It's a bit of an ageing squad. Do you sort of feel like that the playoffs this season was a, was a bit of a missed opportunity? Yeah, if you, like you said, if you look at Wickham's squad, it's not getting any younger. Um, some key figures have left and I guess we'll only know at the end of this season just how how close and, and good that team was. Um, it really depends on, on who the club can bring in. Um, but those two names that James mentioned are incredibly promising. Um, you know, Bishop, I've seen him uh, play for several clubs over the last couple very of years. I know he's at yeah. Southend and he was a very, very solid goalkeeper. Um, and obviously Alfie Mawson, he's, you know, it's almost ridiculous that he hasn't had a, a better career for me. I know he's had a lot of injury problems. He looks superb but, though, um, didn't he, as a youngster, certainly. Oh, he's probably the best best defender I've seen at Wickham. And you, and you knew he was, he was, you know, scheduled for bigger things than us when he played for <laughs> us. Um, and obviously he, he got to the Premier League and, and I think... I think injuries have killed his career, really. Mm. He's had a lot of knee problems and ankle issues. And, you know, hopefully we can be the club that sort of reignites his career. Because um, a fit Alfie Mawson alongside uh, Ryan Tafazoli, I mean, that's that's probably the best defensive partnership in League One. I think it's fair to say you would not concede even a single goal all season long if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting though, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, it's that, that's quite an interesting point in itself because obviously Gareth McCleary was ridiculed with quite a lot of injury problems before he joined Wickham. But then as soon as he did, he had the season of his life. Do you think there's that that will be attractive to someone like Alfie Mawson? Sort of, that, that there won't be the pressure. It's a, Gareth Ainsworth seems very good at managing players. I think that's what, that's what his expertise sort of fall in amongst amongst many other things of course but do you think that will be ultimately a big attraction to to Wickham considering you probably don't have the budget to compete with your Sheffield Wednesdays your Barnsley's all these huge teams in the division is is that going to be your pulling power do you think yeah I mean there's another player Jordan Obita it looked like his career was sort of fizzling out yeah. didn't it um, and he's he's come in and proved to be an incredibly important player I think it's not only that it's, it's the fact he's played there before um, I remember sort of speaking to to him actually uh, in, in the, one of the post post match interviews in, in the bar when he when he played and mm. he loved the club he, he really sort of felt at home I just I think the reason he had to move on was because he was too good. You know, he was just too good for our team at that time. And I, I think there's clearly something pulling him back. Obviously, the Ainsworth factor is crucial there. It's also a team that he knows want to go places. They're not they're not fighting to stay up in League One. This mm-hmm. is a team that he could be playing Championship football with in a year's time. So there's, there's definitely some pulling power there. And uh, let's just hope hope we see. Um, that tweet come up some point this week. <laughs> I really hope so for your sake, mate. And touching on those, those other teams in the division going forward, though, obviously Sheffield Wednesday, they seem to have had an incredible sort of spell in this window, don't they? I mean, some of the signings they've made have just been absolutely ridiculous. Matt Smith, I think it is from Rotherham, uh, a solid, e- easily a championship player amongst so Will Volks from Cardiff, I couldn't yeah. believe when I saw. I mean, how hard is it going to be to compete with teams like that this season? Because you were up there last season amongst still quite a few good 
good teams. But there was, I think it's fair to say, a few sleeping giants in League One last season who I don't think will be sleeping this year. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday have had an incredible window. Um, they, they also signed Michael Hecque from Rotherham. I mean, can you yeah. imagine being a Rotherham fan? You just lost two <laughs> Getting of the best dismantled, yeah. to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah ridiculous. Um, I thought the Davis Stockdale signing was was interesting. Um, I wouldn't say I was a bit surprised. You know, he's, he's an aging keeper. He's, he's not going to get any any younger bit or of experience, better, maybe. Guess, yeah. yeah, but I, I think clearly Wednesday are going to be a threat. Ipswich have to be considered the threat they, they finished the season last year in, incredibly it was just that terrible start they had which meant they never really fought for those playoff places but mm. for me they're they're going to be up there you think Portsmouth are going to be better than they were last year and, and when they get a full house and, and the team's playing well they're an incredibly hard team to beat so no several big teams as normal but um, I think Wickham will, will take the underdog stature again and, and I'll be happy with that. that 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 was that was my next question do you think it actually suits you that 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 idea of being the does. underdog and <laughs> and because it would probably be fair to say in in most other scenarios the playoff finalists from the year before are normally expected to be there or thereabouts this season I'd, I'd, I'd feel pretty comprehensively I feel like I could pretty comprehensively say that not many people will have you down as being up there this year but that suits you just fine doesn't it yeah, you, you you look at a player final finalist and think, yeah, they'll be in the top six again next year. But I've seen several predictions and also looking at the bookies that we're down in sort of 10th, 11th place. And, and you think, what's going on there? They're not learned <laughs> over the past four or five years not to underestimate Wickham. But, you know, you'll take it. And um, you know, even if Wickham were sort of in the bookies' favourites, I still think you'd see them as an underdog because of the size of the club in around them. You know, yeah. These teams have... 20, 30,000 seat stadiums with big budgets, um, big squads. You, you have to sort of place them above Wickham with just the model that they, they operate in. Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's there's a, there's a certain dynamic, isn't there, where there's always you've always underdogs, but you always feel like you're going to do well at Wickham. I think certainly after the last few years and the, and the meteoric rise you've enjoyed. All, all I will say, though, sorry to bring it crashing down a little bit, mate, but there, there is obviously is the chance with so many strong teams in the division, other than Wednesday, obviously running away with the title, which they probably will do, that that it might not be a success this season. You might not get in the playoffs and it, it might not quite come to fruition as you'd hoped it would. Do you think then there's a, there, there might be a worry or, or perhaps even an expectation that, that people like Gareth Ainsworth might be looking to move on from the club, sort of saying, I've done all I can, it's become too hard with the budget and the size of the club to, to consistently challenge? Yeah, of course, you, you would you would fear for that. It really depends on on these players that Wickham can bring in. I think if you're bringing in the likes of Bishop and Mawson and you bring in maybe three or four of a similar, similar calibre, I think Wickham will be in the playoffs next season because the players are just going to be too good not to turn up for 40-plus for games. I, I think, like you said, it maybe if the window proves to be difficult and we don't bring in enough, we've got an ageing squad. They're not going to get any better from last season and they're going to get a bit slower, probably pick up some more injuries. So... It is a worry. There's obviously everyone's got a clock in football, and you know everyone's got sort of a, a time frame. They'll stay at a club and eventually move on. And we all know that Ainsworth's going to go at some stage. He's not going to stay for, at Wickham for the rest of his career, is it? He's been there over a decade. He's got several promotions, playoff finals. He's going to go at some stage. You just hope that really the club can capitalise on on the current situation before it's too late. Because what you don't want to happen is this, this sort of feel-good factor that's been around the club for the past two years to kind of lead to nothing. 
And and that's really the worry that you have this great team for Wickham standards and this great vibe amongst the fans and nothing really happens. And, and, and yeah, I think this season is is going to be crucial to that because I think, like you said, if they find themselves out of the playoffs at the end of the year, I think Ainsworth could be could be looking elsewhere. And, and I wouldn't blame him for that. Well, I mean, uh, that, I, did, I did see a couple of reports linking him with the Derby job, obviously, after doing well with, <laughs> with, quite, with some quite poor resources. I personally can't see that happening, but I did actually want to touch on that with you, because obviously Derby are a team that can't hold a fantastic place in your heart after the fact that if this had happened a year earlier, they, they you'd probably, you might even still be in the championship now. Um, but it's, it's never great to see a club in this set, and it's, it's a real loss for them losing Wayne Rooney as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've got to feel for the fans. You know, I always think if you're a real football fan, you'd feel it on, a, on an emotional level where you see these clubs, you know, de- de- uh, evaporating and, and fans sort of losing their local boyhood club. It's a horrible thought to have. Former Premier League, but well, a top division winner as well, and all that yeah. sort of thing with Brian Clough. I mean, a club like Derby, it would just be ridiculous. You know, the size of the fan base, the size of the stadium, for that to happen to them would be. I think unprecedented. I don't think I would have ever seen a club of that stature go under. Um, but at the same time, that um, they broke they broke the rules, and I think Wickham are perfectly entitled to to have their stance. I think at the end of the day, it's a business, isn't it? And it's between two businesses. It's not between two sets of fans. It's it's a business here, and ultimately, Wickham are just fighting for what they they probably rightly owed. Um, but you know, obviously. I think one of the problems with that is it's not really helping Derby's situation. But, um, well, no, I, I, I did see alleged reports, and I will say allegedly because I don't know how true they are, but apparently there's an investigation also get ongoing about, um, a, a, like I said, an allegation that Wayne Rooney had paid the wages for Derby yes. for a month, which is extraordinary to even comprehend, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was something like one point eight million. Something wrong with his pay, and yeah. you know, I think if it's if it comes oh, up, that is the case. Change. Yeah, well, forget how much he's just had to pay for his <laughs> wife's court case, isn't it? <laughs> she won. I, mean, if it comes, if it, <laughs> I think if it comes out that that's true, I'd like to hope that the FA don't sanction him or do anything with that. You know, I think a sort of human element has to come in there, and if it is true, I think he'll have the respect if he doesn't already of of the entire football community because. That's an incredible sum of money um, to, 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 to dish out. But mm. uh, it just highlights the situation Derby Rooney. It's a, it's a genuinely serious situation where now Rooney's gone, players are going out the door left, right and centre. Yeah. They've, they've sold all their goalkeepers. So I don't know what's happening there. Um, really, that first game of the season, it's going to be intriguing to see what sort of team they put out, whether they, whether they can, whether they'll have to go to their youth team and things like that. Mm. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I mean, at least you touched on the FA not sanctioning, sanctioning him, if it is true. As I mentioned, they are all allegations at this stage, so nothing has been yeah. confirmed. But that would also require the FA to have any form of common sense, wouldn't it, Ben? Which they, they clearly don't have, <laughs> as well as the EFL. It's honestly beyond belief, some of the things you read about the decisions that are made at the very highest level of football. So, uh, yeah, about the only thing they got right was the Super League. And that's, that's a one in 200 thousand decision I think or something like that so wouldn't hold your breath with that one uh, something that I can't imagine Derby will be involved in massively is transfers and we'll be talking that next across the Thames Valley one more time across the Thames Valley this this is River Radio well now for some pop music try this 
You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. And up next is our transfer chat, which we'll be revisiting throughout the summer as sides look to strengthen their squads ahead of the new season. First of all, obviously, loads of transfer news going on, gents, isn't there? Between, you know, from the very top level to the very bottom. But uh, obviously, the biggest news being that Manchester City have sold Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal for around £45 million. A very interesting signing to sell, I was about to say, to a Premier League rival, which is not really at the moment, is it? But it certainly could be. I mean, First and foremost, before we get any, any deeper, what I'll come to you first, Sam. What are your sort of thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think it's quite interesting because uh, it, they're not the only club that are selling down to other clubs. I mean, Sterling mm. going to Chelsea is another potentially. Interesting one yeah, there. that's fifty million as well. Uh, look, maybe they just don't see them as a threat. And and Jesus has got to the point a bit like um, Origi. Um, he's warming a bench. Career's going on can't give him the game time and he's just seen Harlan walk in the front door well you can't stay then <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. he's like yeah I'm going to get oh, 45 games a year so, no you're not getting three <laughs> three mate that's what you're getting so you know he's got to go yeah I mean what, what do you think of that but I mean first is it a good piece of business for Arsenal it seems to me like a pretty good move for all parties yeah I think Arsenal fans are delighted with it I know our, our old friend from uni Charlie Willard he's, he's now a reporter he actually spoke to Gabriel Jesus earlier today and he's an Arsenal fan and he's absolutely thrilled with it I think it's finally you're seeing Arsenal actually be a bit proactive mm. in, in a transfer window I mean, when's the last it? time you can say that I know they've been linked with other players you know Rafinha looks like he's uh, snubbed Arsenal for Chelsea which is going to be a Willian-esque uh, move isn't it <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be incredibly well, upsetting for us. Breaking fans. news is Barcelona are now trying to hijack the. Ugh, I'm, not, I'm not having this with Barcelona, <laughs> right? I'm not having this because they, they say. Who's doing It's Diane Abbott doing their accounts, do you reckon? Well, where's, where's their money coming from? Yeah, it's just well, not. One minute they're asking for millions and millions of pounds to bail them out, next minute they're buying, buying a new. Well, they're, they're, they've started doing weddings at the new camp, haven't they? So they can try and offload some of those. That's genuinely true. You can rent out the new camp for a wedding, which is. Or you can play, they're try not going to be in the new camp next season because of the uh, repairs. Well, there you go then. So they can afford to repair it, but you know, and, and to pay Lewandowski 175 grand a week, but just in the 40 million pound of debt, I suppose. Very, very interesting over at Barcelona, isn't it? But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it does seem to be a good deal for both parties, Jesus. And he obviously underwent and went to a, a medical as well. They've also signed Fabio Vieira, which we spoke about a little bit last week. Do you see them as a top four threat next season, Ben? Well, yeah. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> uh, I, I think they're going to be there or thereabouts. I, I can't say that a, a team that finished sort of below sixth is going to suddenly go into the top four, that there's so many teams that are going to be fighting for those places. I think for me, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how well Newcastle do. <laughs> mm, Leicester are going to be better than last season. It's going to be incredibly hard. I, I think Wolves, if they can just sort of, you know, maybe progress one or two places from last year, but they'd see that as a... No, I, as I think a, Wolves are tread water. Yeah. I, I, Leicester are going downwards. Yeah. They're not going upwards. I think... You know, top six is returning to a top six. I yeah, think the top six is more, more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think you might be right. But uh, obviously talking to Newcastle as well, mate, they, they, may, they look like they might be trying to break into it. They've signed Sven Botman, £35 million from Lille, player they've been heavily linked with. Nick Pope as well. What a piece of business that is. £10 million, pounds, Sam. That's a steal, isn't it? I don't it? know what Burnley are thinking. <laughs> I think it's more what Nick Pope's thinking. I'm yeah, not playing in the championship. That's true, with the World Cup coming up. But have you seen Newcastle's third kit that was revealed? I haven't, actually. <gasps> it's the Saudi... Saudi, oh, it's yeah, the Saudi away kit. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. It's white and green. I mean, literally, it's the Saudi away well, at least, kit. At least they're trying to hide it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in plain yeah. sight. So it's got, it's got, as long as it doesn't have any red on it, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I've been really actually 
genuinely surprised and sort of impressed with Newcastle's business since yeah. the takeover. It, it's it's not been just throwing money at players for the sake of it. They, they didn't they've do what City did when they got, got it, did they? They've got some very good players in, and it seems like they're actually building a team, which is, I think, pretty impressive. Impressive to see. Well, I think, like I said, Nick Pope for ten million is just a hell of a deal. That yeah. Bruno Gomes, that was a hell of a sign in that one for for the money they paid. Even Chris Wood was a stroke of genius, not because he's a goal scorer, because he took the, the the top goal scorer away from their biggest <laughs> relegation rivals at the time, which I think probably ultimately cost Burnley, didn't it? So very interesting. And, and look, I mean, they're, they're going about it the right way, which is what you want to see. They've got a young, hungry, ambitious manager, haven't they? And some made, made some very shrewd signings. So you know. They, they, they might even be breaking... That might become a top seven, mightn't it, Ben? I think the best You thing never know. You <laughs> never know. I think ben, Newcastle's goal has to be to get into Europe, right? That's got to be the next... In some capacity. Yeah. I mean, so. if they or make, win the trophy, you'd think. Like, they haven't won anything since... The League Cup, yeah. FA Cup, you know, one They'd of those They'd take two, anything, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, they would. You know, they're, they're taking the Conference Cup. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. When's, when's the last made time Newcastle one. played at Wembley? The new I, Wembley. Honestly, I'm there. not 100% sure. It'll be against Liverpool in 1974. Wow, there you go. There you go, Ben. So, <laughs> so what, 50, nearly 50 odd years ago? Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, so, yeah. That, and even getting to Wembley for them would do it, probably, wouldn't yeah. it? Descended on probably. Sunderland have been more recently. Albeit for a League One playoff final, yeah. but regardless. Um, obviously, the, the big news as well that broke this week, Gareth Bale, I, I sort of talked to him about him. He was looking at going to Cardiff, potentially. Uh, reversed that to go to Los Angeles FC. If I had to pick between Cardiff and Los Angeles, I don't think it would be that hard of a decision either, in fairness to They've got him. better golf clubs. They have got better golf clubs. So Wales, Golf, Madrid, in that order, wasn't it? But it's, it's, that's obviously just a move to get him ready for the Euros, isn't it, Sam? World uh, Cup, sorry, I should say. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I've heard the debate. The, the problem is, will he get the quality of opposition? No, maybe. Yeah, perhaps not. But I mean, he definitely wouldn't have a Cardiff. He wouldn't necessarily. Well, it, that's the question. Is the uh, is the uh, MLS better than the level that Cardiff plays at? It's going to be close. It's, uh, for me, it's <laughs> it really close. Is. I mean, Bradley Wright Phillips went there and scored God knows how many yeah. goals, didn't he? So you know, you know, that's the problem. I mean, so I mean. And, and Gareth Bale, we famously know, is not great at training anymore. I don't think. But the thing is, I think this is it. I think a club like like Los Angeles FC will always be able. To, it's pretty much a free pass. It's do what you want. Turn up on a match day, and he will produce. He, he did for Spurs, which wasn't even, which was only like eighteen months ago, and he was still good then. So yeah. I mean, he's pretty much free to do what he wants. It is about the about the World Cup, though, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, yeah, and, and you can't really blame him. Look, Cardiff's a great night out, but it's not quite LA, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I'm sure that when he was sat there weighing the two up, as much as he'd love to go back to Cardiff, and he probably will end up there anyway. He probably knows yeah, that post World Cup. I agree. I think he'll go there. Post see, I'd, I'd yeah. see. My thing is, I, I can't see him playing on past this World Cup. I think, I think, I genuinely think he'll retire in January. Yeah. I think that'll be it because what what has he got to? He, he's achieved everything he wanted to do. The World Cup is his perfect moment to bow out. I think. Well, there's a number of players like him. I mean, will Ronaldo go back to Portugal and play one last season? Will um, Suarez go back to, you know, Uruguay, play? Yeah. yeah, will he play? I mean, we've just seen Fernandinho go back to his club in Brazil to play. Yeah. For one. I mean, we've seen it in the past with a lot of the but Argentinians. I, I the, the difference is, I think these players love football. And I don't think Gareth Bale loves football anymore. True. I really don't. I think True. I think everything that happened at Real Madrid really made him fall out of love with the game. And he's fallen in love with golf in fairness. <laughs> so um unless unless he's gonna do a tour of America for to, to play some golf, which you can't blame him for. 
Um, or, or even go to Cardiff to play he at Celtic need Manor. To work, let's be honest. He doesn't, exactly. Well, well, let's be honest, he's probably got a better chance of, of getting in the Ryder Cup ne- before the next World Cup. So, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's had a stellar career, hasn't he? And it's, it's certainly testament to him that, that he's able to do that, to win, to have won five Champions Leagues um, among so many other competitions and, and had the career he has is, is absolutely stellar. I don't think he'll be getting a World Cup to, to, to round it all off. But even taking Wales to their first World Cup in, what, 64 years, wasn't it? It's is quite an achievement so yeah I mean do you think do you agree Ben will he be retiring do you think at the end of that World Cup or do you think he'll wait it out I think it's the right moment to but uh, I think also the pull of playing for Cardiff again will will definitely be in his mind I I think it really depends on whether he starts enjoying playing football again You, you may see that because he's not amongst the sort of the hyperbole of Real Madrid that he actually starts to enjoy football once more and if he does he, he may continue I think uh, we'll have to wait and see we really will we really will we're rapidly running out of time here on extra time uh, gents it's been an absolute pleasure Ben thank you so much for joining me yes hopefully I'll be there next week I really hope so time. mate I hope, so. I hope you get those <laughs> eyes fixed and Sam obviously thanks for, for stepping in and joining pleasure. us as well always it's been a pleasure if you do want to catch the show after as well be sure to check it out on Spotify uh, you can check, catch up all, all our shows there um, at any time my dogs it tones to keep you well to send you to sleep at night more than likely <laughs> probably we've got the F1 <laughs> review show up next I've been Will Taylor this has been Extra 